Hey there. In case we haven't met yet, I'm Lisa Kiefhofer. Whether you're a first-time listener or you've listened to every episode, I'm so thrilled you're here. And today I am equally excited to say welcome to season two of Grief is a Sneaky Bitch. wondering why I sound so excited about such a heavy topic? Well, you're not alone. I have seen the confused faces and heard the awkward responses more than once when I excitedly tell someone that I'm passionate about having authentic conversations about death and loss, depathologizing grief, and helping us get better at practicing compassion. You know, that silence cue the crickets and the downward gaze. But don't worry, I always say, I'm fun at a party too. And the truth is, I really am. And if you're someone who's willing to dip into these deep waters, then I imagine you are too. It's been my experience that the people who are most willing to turn towards the difficult, complex, and even painful events and emotions in life, and then learn from them, are the people best able to access the joy and delight and amazement that being alive offers every single one of us. I am so passionate about the topic of grief and loss and compassion that I created a company, Reimagining Grief, and this podcast, so that I could spend my time learning from and supporting others through this thing 100% of us experience in life, grief. Why am I so interested in this? Well, it's a couple of things. I've spent a career as a social worker, a narrative therapist, educator, and writer, where I witness significant impact that loss has on all of our lives. What drives me even more is the damaging impact our lack of open and honest dialogue about the realities of grief has on all of us. And, like many of you, I've faced tremendous loss in my personal life, too. Most significantly, the death of my husband, Eric, in 2011, leaving me a widow at age 40 and a single parent to our daughter, who was just seven at the time. Then my dear friend, Joe, died in 2015, and most recently, my beloved rescue dog, Brutus. As a listener of so many incredible podcasts over the years that have fed my soul, opened my imagination, and taught me something new about myself and the world around me, I've designed this show to do the same thing for you. I'm bringing you deep, thoughtful, sometimes curious, sometimes even playful, and always extraordinary conversations with a wide range of people. Each of them teaches us something new about this shared human experience and reminds us all that we're not alone. 
I'm committed to bringing you guests and stories that allow you to see your experiences reflected too. Today's episode is a little bit unique. Today, I'm going to be talking directly just to you. I want to talk to you about some things that are on my mind right now. First, I want to share some reflections I've had about what I learned from my incredible guests last season. I also want to tell you about how your response to the show has impacted me and my work. Third, I want to be open and honest and stumble my way through sharing what I've been thinking about and discovering during this time of the pandemic and the national reckoning on race. And finally, I want to give you a sneak preview of what's coming for the rest of season two. So first, let's start with what I learned from my guests. Last season, I spoke with old friends and made some new friends as we explored their unique experiences with this thing that we all have in common. It was such an honor to hold space and bear witness and learn from each and every one of my guests. In Grief Brings a New Friendship, my new friend and guest, Mickey Kay, and I recount how Sometimes loss causes us to lose relationships in our lives, but how, in our case anyway, it brought us together. Our conversation opened my eyes to the losses, shifts, and even joy that can be found in the wake of non-death losses, including what he learned over the past 15 years or so after a horrific bike accident at the age of just 20 changed the trajectory of his life. I learned so much from my old friend Rami Suskin in The Long Goodbye. In that episode, she reminded us about the anticipatory grief and ambiguous losses often faced in witnessing the long, slow decline of chronic or terminal illness, like the one her father endured with ALS. In Life Lessons from a Little Sister, entrepreneur and restaurateur Jay Kim shared the lessons he learned while simultaneously building a company and watching the slow and painful death of his younger sister to a rare disease. He offered us so much insight about how this loss in his personal life has transformed the way this founder and CEO of Cilantro Barbecue runs his company. I had the honor of getting to know Heather Saucedo and her late husband, Oscar, when he was experiencing cancer several years ago. In the episode, So Young But Growing Up So Fast, this young widow offered us so much straight talk on what being a young widow and new mother of a medically fragile daughter has taught her about her own toughness, her capacity, and resiliency. In the episode, When Stillness Silences Grief, my very special friend, Autumn Campbell, called out how our systems and beliefs around perinatal loss can cause significant harm 
to the mothers and fathers left in the wake of such devastating loss. She spoke honestly, openly, and very directly about the legacy that those failures have had on her own experience grieving her son Zion, who was delivered stillborn nearly two decades ago. Pediatric palliative social worker Rachel Carnahan Metzger shared what she has learned over the past decade working with families who endure the uncertainty of medically fragile children and the death of so many others. In It's Out of Order, she explored what we've learned about bearing witness and holding space in the face of unimaginable pain, the importance of talking about the hard things, and invited us to think about what constitutes a good ending. This conversation is definitely two social workers geeking out. Brene Brown would be so proud, y'all. In naming the loss, my guest remained anonymous because her loss, like for so many experiencing disenfranchised grief, is wrapped up in judgment from our broader culture and even from those she loves. Though she holds no shame about terminating her pregnancy, which she did for medical reasons, she wanted to share what it has been like to have her grief denied by others and the powerful and transformational experience she has felt in finally naming, honoring, and being held by those she loves in her grief. My guest, Kelly Abbott, besides the gift of his friendship, has taught me so much about the work of grief. In A Father's Grief Work, Kelly shared how he has integrated grief into his life after the accidental drowning of his son just before his fifth birthday. His wisdom, insights, and humor continues to reverberate in my head on a daily basis since our conversation. Mark Garza founded the Flatwater Foundation because he understood how critical mental health support is for families touched by cancer, a lesson he learned personally when his own father was diagnosed. In a legacy of honoring, Mark shared his passion for breaking down the stigma of asking for help, how he has and hasn't dealt with the loss of his twin sister and his father, and how being a father himself is reminding him of the importance of caring for our hearts and our minds in the wake of loss. In His Shining Presence, Rene Rouleau, fellow widow and entrepreneur, shares the lessons she learned from her business partner and husband, Florian, over their 22-year relationship. She reflects honestly and openly about the myths and the realities of accompanying someone through a cancer diagnosis. And she lets us in on how she is blazing a shining trail as she adventures on, carrying Florian's memory forward into the future. Y'all, I met a kindred spirit when I sat down to talk with fellow podcaster and creative Chrissy Tegerstrom. In A Grief Journey Delayed, she gave us an honest portrayal of the way her family secrecy around her father's death 
when she was just 11 years old, taught her some damaging lessons on love and grief and loss. She let us in on the power of a good question to break open embodied trauma and the commitment she is making every day to use her voice. In my final conversation of the season, Capturing Grief on Film, I learned so much from my conversation with filmmakers Ryan Bowman and Michael Jenke about their short-form documentary film on grief called We the Bereaved. For starters, they demonstrated deep vulnerability. Both men shared their initial trepidation about taking on the awesome responsibility of telling other people's grief story. They revealed how tackling this topic was a shift from their more commercial work and how it challenged them to think, act, and structure the entire process in a completely new way. And just when I thought I was done, I wasn't. I brought you a bonus episode at the end of season one. There for his last breath was a conversation I had with podcast host Becky Jennison, which originally aired on her incredible show, The Death Dialogues Project. As the guest on the other side of the microphone, we shared a deeply honest, reflective, and emotional conversation about the experience of losing my husband when I was 40. I share what it was like to be holding Eric for those last nine hours of his life until he passed in my arms. You will hear the surprising self-discovery I make on air, frankly, as I explain why being with my friend Joe just a few years later when he died was actually a gift, one that brought a greater sense of peace to the memories of being by Eric's side. season, right? For me, it was a season full of learning and growing, of honesty and vulnerability, of uncovering the realities of grief and loss, of practicing and exploring what open conversations feel like, of experiencing and witnessing firsthand the healing effect of being seen and held without judgment in our pain. didn't just learn from my guests. I learned from you too. So many listeners have reached out to me. Your thank you messages have brought me so much joy. Your I felt so seen messages reinforced my commitment to bringing you more stories. Your appreciation for the ways we interrogate the myths and messages about grief that cause us so much harm. Well, those messages warm my social worker heart. Your listenership, outreach, and feedback remind me every day that I'm not alone in my grief. I'm not alone in this work. That my efforts to change the conversation on grief are much needed and already having an impact around the world. You have no idea how grateful I am for each and every one of you who listen, share, and reach out. It really means the world to me. I'm curious about what you've learned. 
I'm wondering what you think of my opening questions on each episode. Did you notice that I ask each of my guests to share their earliest memories of grief and to tell us how the adults in their life were modeling grief through their implicit and explicit behaviors and messages and what that taught them about what grief should look or feel like when they face the loss they are sharing on the show. Did it get you wondering about your own earliest memories? So here's the third thing, and it's a big thing. I thought I was going to be spending time talking to you about what I've learned about grief and loss as a result of going through a global pandemic with all of you. And yes, that has definitely shook all of us, opened our eyes to the ambiguous loss that occurs in the disruption of the known, to the collective grief experienced around the world to the devastating number of families who are grieving the lives lost to COVID-19, to the disruption in the grieving process caused by the requirements of physical distancing. Those are all true and real and profound. In fact, my first guest, Elizabeth Benton, will share the impact this pandemic has had on her and her husband's grief journey in the wake of the loss of their beautiful two-week-old daughter, Dagny, at the beginning of the pandemic. But today, I want to share the reflections, revelations, oh shit, and aha moments I'm having practically on a daily basis in the midst of this national reckoning on systemic racism in the U.S. that we are going through right now. So if you're a listener of the show or follow my daily invitations on social media, you already know that there is one theme I write and speak about probably more than most on the topic of grief support. And it's my motto, show up, shut up, and listen, and keep showing up. But here's the thing. 2020 has opened my eyes to what that motto really means, where it applies, and how I have been falling down on the job. Yes, me, falling down big time. As I read, learn, listen, write, and speak about the racism prevalent in every institution and every white person in this country, including me, it significantly shifts and expands what comes to mind when I say or write the motto, every single time. So here's the basic premise of my motto or slogan for those of you who haven't heard my explanation before. After years of hearing people share the pain they felt when the people they loved most didn't show up for them, talk to them, or support them in their grief, and frankly, after experiencing some of that myself, I started asking myself and others, why was this happening? Why are people not showing up? The short and frequent answers I got were some versions of these few statements. I don't know what to say. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't know how to help. I've never been through this, so I don't know how to relate. 
I'm uncomfortable around sad or angry people, etc., 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 blah, blah, blah. So this motto, show up, shut up, and listen, and keep showing up, is a response to all of that. It's my way of sharing a few key truths that get lost in our shitty grief culture in the U.S. Truth one, grief doesn't need fixing. It just needs feeling. Let that sink in. Let that remind you, the person who wants to show up as a supporter, that you're off the hook. You don't have to show up with a solution to their grief because it isn't a problem. You just have to show up. Truth two, platitudes, silver linings, and comparisons only tell the griever that you aren't actually interested in seeing them or supporting them with however they are feeling. You are telling them, in essence, they're wrong for feeling sad, angry, lonely, scared, or however they are legitimately feeling in the wake of loss. When you say, I can't imagine, you're saying, you are an alien, I can't relate to you. When you say, at least, blah, 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 you are undermining their real lived pain. Truth number three, not showing up. Well, not showing up and not saying anything or showing up once and then disappearing because you're afraid of doing or saying the wrong thing is sending them a message. It's saying, your pain makes me uncomfortable. You are alone. You are a different. I don't know how to relate to you anymore. Fourth, and perhaps most important. When we understand grief isn't a problem that needs fixing, when we accept that we don't have to have gone through an experience to show empathy and compassion, when we come to terms with the fact that grief lasts a long time, a lifetime, when we truly see the isolation and loneliness that grief brings on for the bereaved, when we come to truly know that, we are able to show up with true empathy and compassion, to say words of acknowledgement and affirmation, not correction, to listen, to bear witness, to hold space, to remind that person that even though they feel lost, they still belong. And the truth is, I still stand by all of it. And what has really shook me in 2020, where I've been really called to task by my own words, is the national reckoning we're going through here in the U.S. As those of us who are white are finally opening our eyes or beginning to open our eyes to the pain, grief, and trauma black people and other people of color in this country have been enduring for 400 years, generation after generation of grief unacknowledged of continuous harm, of continuous loss. Black Americans have been writing and speaking and singing about the pain, grief, and brutality they experience on a daily basis in this country for generations. To those of my listeners who are white, you know that we, we white people, have heard their stories of pain, read about their losses, witnessed their grief, and yet we haven't shown up I haven't shown up, not enough, not in the ways that matter. And what's my excuse? What is our excuse as white people? Well, those responses I shared earlier about grief support come to mind. I don't know what to say. I don't want to say the wrong thing. 
I don't know how to help. I've never been through this, so I don't know how to relate. I'm uncomfortable around sad or angry people. Yeah, sound familiar? Well, that's been my bullshit excuse, and probably yours too if you're a white person in this country. But as my fellow social worker and fellow white woman, Brene Brown, reminds us, it's not about being right. It's about getting it right. We're going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, especially if we go in with an attitude of, I have to fix this, or I have to make it right, or I need the black people I'm talking to to know that I'm not one of those white people. Especially if we go in with platitudes and comparisons or corrections about the actions, words, or feelings of black people. Especially if we go in trying to be a grief thief with all the whataboutisms that dominate the discourse. Those whataboutisms that change the topic and focus of concern, attempting to dismiss the truth of the pain being shared. Nope, not okay. This year's made me realize how much I've applied show up, shut up, and listen to the friends and clients in my life facing the pain of personal loss and how little I've applied it to my role as a white person. How not showing up, shutting up, and listening has meant in some ways I'm participating in and perpetuating racist ideas, racist systems, and racist practices that cause so much pain, loss, and grief to black people in this country every single day. So you may be wondering, so what has all this thinking and reflecting and learning meant for you? And maybe what can it mean to you, my listeners, especially the white listeners? What I do know in this moment is it means I have to show up, shut up, and listen more often to the experiences of pain, trauma, and grief of black people in this country. Not with an agenda, a correction, an excuse, or a solution. I need to listen, bear witness, hold space, empathize, and apologize. I have to, and I am doing this daily in my personal life, in my professional life, on this show. I have to be willing to, and I likely already have, say or do it wrong. I have done and will continue to stumble over my words, as you've heard today. I have and will likely say something unintentionally harmful. And when I do, and when I have, I make amends when someone is gracious enough to point out my mistake. I am diligent about reading, listening to, and showing up in Black-led racial justice organizations and believe this is helping me to make less mistakes and do less harm. Just like I aim for this show to model open, vulnerable, authentic conversations about the realities of grief at large, I can no longer separate that from my need, our need, to show up, shut up, listen, and keep showing up for conversations and actions that require me to acknowledge the harm, recognize my past and ongoing participation in the suffering of others, offer empathy for the pain that's been experienced, and actively engage in anti-racist actions. That means adding something to my motto. You know the motto, show up, shut up, listen, and keep showing up. And that is, speak up, 
too. Yes, active listening is an incredibly important approach in grief support and in conversations about race. And I'm beginning to understand that the damage of white silence, of my silence, in perpetuating racism is real. I must be willing, we white people must be willing, to experience discomfort in order to use our white privilege in service of dismantling racism. For this show in particular, it means I'm taking a hard look at who I invite on as a guest, what stories are my guests sharing, how am I helping to make my guests feel supported in sharing their stories, what topics are we talking about, It means I'm actively checking myself, and I'm inviting you to check in with me when I make assumptions about who the audience is for my show. I mean, statistics show that most widely produced journalism shows, books, projects presume a white audience. It means I'm admitting right now that I don't know what else it means, but I'm committed to excavating my own racist implicit bias interrogating my racist thoughts and reactions, and actively fighting for systemic change, not reform, but abolishing racist systems that disadvantage, oppress, marginalize, sicken, and kill people of color every day, every single day. It also means I'll be sharing all of my learning with you. And just a quick note to my international listeners. I want to speak to the listeners I have from around the world, in Europe, Asia, Africa, Australia, South America. First, whoa, thanks so much for tuning in. And secondly, if you're a white person or a person in the dominant class in your country, even though you don't live in the U.S., I'm guessing your country faces some version of the systemic racism and oppression deeply embedded in ours. So I hope you'll find the conversations this season to be helpful in your own anti-racist journey as well. So you've heard what I've been reflecting on and learning since we last left off in season one. Now I want to let you in on some of the fascinating conversations I've already had, the conversations I have scheduled, and an idea about some future topics and guests I hope will join me in season two. Just thinking about this upcoming season, I'm having a moment here, y'all. I just can't believe I have the honor of holding space for these incredible guests as they openly share their pain, their curiosity, their wisdom, their hearts with us. As I mentioned, next week, you will be hearing from Elizabeth Benton. Elizabeth is a successful entrepreneur, owner of Primal Potential. She is an inspirational author of the book Chasing Cupcakes, host of the wildly popular Primal Potential podcast. She is passionate about using her own experiences of transformation to help others do the same. She is a wife, she is a friend, and she is a grieving mother who is opening up about the recent loss of her two-week-old daughter, Dagny, at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
She is sharing her story with all of us because, like me, she believes if we're going to show up in community and love one another through the pain of loss, well, we have to speak openly and honestly about it all. You will also be hearing from new friends and old, including the incredibly talented journalist and author, Leslie Grace Streeter, whose incredible memoir, Black Widow, led me right to her door. We got real about widowhood through our laughter and our tears. I was also joined by my longtime friend, Shona Teruza. Besides her title as one of my oldest friends, she also serves as the Minister of Social Justice and Diversity for her church and works tirelessly as a racial justice advocate. On the show, she explored her own experiences of grief over death losses and her experience showing up for me in the wake of my own loss. And she also shines a light on the experiences of loss faced by people who immigrate to other countries, as she did from Zimbabwe to England to the U.S. And she speaks openly and honestly about the grief and loss she experiences as a Black woman in this country and what she is witnessing through the lens of her work, too. had a fascinating conversation with Michael Hebb, who is an innovative and influential cultural figure, entrepreneur, activist, TED Med speaker, creator of Death Over Dinner and the End of Life Collective. He has spent a career inviting us to have the conversations we have the least, but the ones we need the most. I learned so much from him and you will too. I also spoke with actress Amber Smith, wife of country music singer Granger Smith, about the accidental drowning of their son, River. I spoke with fellow social worker Khadija Tishan about her work in breaking the cycles of intergenerational trauma and grief. I had an eye-opening conversation with author and movement maker Kate Manser about her book and life motto, You might die tomorrow, so live for today. I've explored grief with a woman who was just an infant when her mother was murdered. I explored the myths around perinatal loss, both from a personal and professional perspective with a perinatal psychiatrist who shines a light on the ways the different cultures she's lived and worked in treat grief. Most recently, I spoke with a woman about the grief she experienced in the wake of her husband's catastrophic accident that left him quadriplegic. Soon, I will be sitting down to have a conversation with my dear friend and the legendary John A. Powell. John is an internationally recognized expert in the areas of civil rights and civil liberties and a wide range of issues, including race, structural racism, ethnicity, housing, poverty, and democracy. He is the director of the Othering and Belonging Institute at UC Berkeley. Just like we do in our personal conversations, we will be exploring personal loss, the parallels of showing up for grief and showing up in the fight for racial justice, and exploring our collective true calling, which is to experience belonging. Whoa, those are just some of the conversations coming your way in season two. 
I'm really excited to share them with you. But before I let you go, I want to ask your opinion on something. Is that all right? I want to hear from you about the topics you want to hear more about. Let me know what guests you want to hear from this season. My goal is that throughout this series, all listeners will be able to hear a story, an experience, or a reflection that makes them want to say, yes, me too, or exactly. You can send me a note at info at reimagininggrief.com or follow me on Instagram or Facebook at reimagininggrief and drop me a DM with your suggestions and requests. Also, please take a few moments to rate, review, and share this show so that more people who are experiencing grief in this world right now can listen to these conversations and feel just a little less alone on their journey. I just wanted to share a little something about me for a moment. Something you might not know about me is that I'm a certified scuba diver. I took my first dive at 12. And on that day, I learned a very important lesson that would be my motto, one that I still live by today. Dive in, breathe deep, and buddy breathe when necessary. The thing is, I never fully appreciated that last part, the buddy breathing when necessary part. Well, that is until the day my husband died in my arms. Even though I spent a career as a social worker, it wasn't until that happened that the penny dropped. Every single one of us needs help sometimes in our lives, even those of us in the helping profession. And although our friends and family love us, they often aren't trained to get on their scuba gear and join us underwater to help us buddy breathe when we might need it most. If you need help catching your breath as you acclimate to a new world in the wake of loss, I'm here to help. Visit reimagininggrief.com to learn more about my grief support. I want to give special thanks to Gile Smith of Alafia Sound for creating the music for today's show. Thank you so much for joining me for episode one of season two. I'm your host, Lisa Kefoffer, and you've been listening to Grief is a Sneaky Bitch. <laughs>